So it was a mild spring evening. Oh, mild spring. I'm here for it. Mild spring evening. Uh, we had the patio door open, in fact. It was that mild. Uh, my wife and I were sitting there watching West Wing. Yep. And this terrible thing had happened on the West Wing. President Jeff Bartlett's secretary had been killed by a drunken driver. And we thought, oh my, my God. God. That's got- Is that what happens? Yeah. yeah she, she, he You've just ruined Sorry, it for spoiler me. Spoiler alert. <laughs> just ruined it for everybody. I'd ruined West Wing for everybody. Ruined it. Yeah. No, so she was killed by a drunk driver while driving in her brand new car. Right. And it was this terrible moment where, like, there's the entire, like, all the guys at the West Wing, you know, Rob Lowe and Brad Whitford and all these, Whitford, all those guys, and you're just like, my God, how could it possibly get worse for a US president? And then, out of the blue, up pops Jim Whaley, who goes, plane strikes Twin Towers in New York, film at 10.30. And I just realised, well done, David. You're the guy who caused 9-11. Wow. Shall we talk about it? <laughs> I mean, we have to now. I really do. You're listening to I Spy, the inconvenient strip search of Australian intelligence. Look, I know I put it in there. I don't know how I'm going to get it out. Sir, I have the gloves on. Bend over. Hello and welcome to I Spied. I'm Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan on, well, it's been, it's a somewhat solemn anniversary, I would say, 20 years. Yes. It's been a really solemn anniversary, particularly when you consider what's happened in Afghanistan, yeah. the place where it all started. And as somebody said, the beautiful thing that popped up on Twitter, which was it only took $3 trillion, 20 years, and a number of deaths to replace the Taliban with the Taliban. Yeah. I um, mean, of course, we're talking so- about September 11th, the falling of the Twin Towers. And what a day it was. I mean, you're about to jump into where you were on that day. And I can say I remember, I think it's one of those things that everyone kind of remembers where they were on that yes. day. It was. It's the JFK moment for our generation. Everyone knows where they were when JFK was shot. Yep. Everyone knows where they were when man ste- first stepped foot on the moon. Yep. This is ours. Like, everyone knows where they were on 9-11. Where were you during that? I was actually, I was in Toronto. So I was pretty close to it all happening and unfolding. I remember that whenever anything happens to the States and you're in you're in close proximity, like in Canada, everything kind of just went into shutdown, like Toronto Airport closed down. Yeah. The yeah. whole city of Toronto actually shut down. And I just remember watching it because it was live stream like they were live streaming it and I remember watching it all unfold and seeing bodies fall from the tower and that was kind of my moment where I realized hang on a minute this is pretty yeah. gruesome and it was it was kind of the beginning for me to understand what live news was capable of because you were only just starting in journalism at the time, weren't you? Yeah, I was um, I was hosting a TV show. Um, it was a local news show, but I wasn't really – I hadn't really got into journalism at that point. And I remember having to kind of be on air the next day and having to kind of rally and reflect. And it was one of those moments it was really hard to kind of speak about and speak to. We was we were kind of removed from it in Canada, but we were, we were still so very close to it. And everything mm. that unfolded after – Afterwards, uh, it, it was all live. It was all live streamed, and that's what was so crazy to me that we were watching. We were watching it all happen. We were watching them invade countries, just kind of the fallout, and just watching the world change forever. 
But And this is the really interesting thing. I sat here in my lounge yep. room watching it for at least 24 hours. I didn't move from the television except to make a cup of tea and go to the bathroom. It was compelling. Yeah. Um, and also because of me and my experience, I was also like, well, how the hell did this happen? How did America get it so wrong? And that's what I really want to talk about. I, we can talk about the incident. And look, there are conspiracy theories that um, people will throw at us. And that's oh, yeah. fine as well. Um, just on the controlled demolition. Have you ever seen what you need to do to do a controlled demolition of a tower? This was not a... Con- Everyone would have noticed the red cord running around through the building. It's fascinating to me too. Like I know some people who are actually quite intelligent um, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that you have to be stupid to believe a conspiracy theory but quite practical thinkers and they are well on board with this being perpetuated by the US government. Conspiracy. Yep. 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 Let's talk about how it happened. Right. Not how they organised it, how they did it, how the, the terrorists did it. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got everything to do with America and the way American intelligence works. There's a really good quote from a guy by the name of Sam Berger, who was Clinton's security advisor during the 90s. Yep. He basically said this, history is written through a rearview mirror, but it unfolds through a foggy windshield. And that's a great way of looking at what happened to the United States intelligence system because of this. Because they were pretty much onto Al-Qaeda from the very start. Back in 1990, when bin Laden first started setting Al-Qaeda up, they were onto it. They knew what was going on. They could see this was about to happen. They knew it was going to happen. And then in 1993, most people wouldn't remember this, but it was not 90, was it? 9-11 9-11 was not the first attempt to take down the Twin Towers. Back in 1993, there was a bombing of Tower 1 at the World Trade Center. And what happened was they basically parked a rental truck in the second basement car park full of uh, a fertilizer bomb. It right. was a nitrate hydrogen bomb. And essentially, they detonated it right next to one of the supporting pillars, and it was not enough to bring down the building killed quite a few people, Mm. injured quite a few more, but it didn't bring down the building. But it put them onto Al-Qaeda in a big way, particularly one guy by the name of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who appears again because Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was the guy who basically was the architect of the 93 bombing and then was the architect of 9-11. And the thing about him was... He was captured in Pakistan in 2003 by the CIA, went through many of their little black sites until he wound up in Guantanamo Bay, Mm. where he confessed in 2007 to actually planning it. He said, I was responsible for the 9-11 operation from A to Z. He presented the plan to bin Laden in 1996. Bin Laden sat down and had a look at it. Bin Laden, by the way, was a civil engineer. Yes, which he makes a lot of sense. one guy that could look at that building and go, oh, my God, yeah, that, that'd work. He gave the approval in 98, I think it was, mm. and away they went. They started organising it. Now, the thing with the CIA was they weren't actually going to know these details because the CIA had one really massive problem. The CIA loved electronic and satellite intelligence. They loved being able to sit up in space and look down at the enemy and work out what it was going. And that was really good when it came to dealing with a thing like the Soviets, right? Back in the, mm. you know, they could sit there and literally count the, IB, count the IBMs that were sitting on the back of trucks in the middle of the tundra. But it was absolutely pointless for terrorism. So just to give you an idea, 53% of the intelligence budget in America in 1980 was directed at, the, at Russia. Right. By 1993, that had dropped to 13%. So all of that money was being redirected to things like terrorism. They knew terrorism was really bad. The problem was the money actually wasn't being spent on terrorism. 
it was being redirected into other things that they wanted to look at as opposed to what they needed to look well, at. Well, no one really thought that anything like this would ever happen. I mean, it's kind of, if you look at it, it's ingenious using planes, commercial planes, to destroy something. Before we go any further, and I have often had arguments about this in mm. various pubs and over dinners, say what you like about the people who perpetrated this. It was strategically and tactically Brilliant. Yeah, it was. It was, a, it was a work of pure genius because what was Osama bin Laden's aim? A lot of people would have said he wanted to hurt people. No, no, he wanted he to hit wanted America. He wanted to drag America down into the mud pit yeah. for the fight. And lo and behold, Osama bin Laden is dead. America got him. You know, we got him, Zero Dark Thirty, all that sort of stuff, SEAL Team Six. They got him. But you know what? America still has not recovered no. from 9 11. He dragged them into not one war, but two wars. And all that time, all of that treasure is going out of their treasury. All of those lives are being spent basically on a war that wound up back to the status quo. And it must be said, you know, the choosing the the Twin Towers, you know, kind of the heart of, you know, the American economy, it really... The dollar sign. It, it really does speak to what he was trying to do, and that was yeah. to hit them where he knew it would hurt, and that's economically. Absolutely. He shut down Wall Street. He did all of that. Mm. But let's go back to what was going on in the CIA. Because the thing is, the CIA and the FBI, both of the, the two most important arms of American intelligence mm. knew what was going on. They knew this could happen. In fact, there was like CIA officer after CIA officer during the 9-11 commission were throwing their hand in the air going, we told you this was going to happen. Yeah, well, we, we knew, knew was- we have spoken about this many times about how the CIA trained Osama bin Laden. He was, you know, for all intents yeah. and purposes, you know, an operative of the American government at one point. Yep. And they lost him. Right? They, yes. they lost him basically by going into Iraq the second time. Oh, no, the first time. That was the worst thing they could have done you know, yes. because you had American soldiers in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is the Holy Land, yada, yada, yada. The thing is they knew they had so many clues that this was going on. There's a really great story. I love this. It comes back from the Saudi intelligence organization let the CIA know that there was this mm. guy there was a meeting going on in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, and one of the participants was Khalid al-Midha. Now, Khalid al-Midha wound up being one of the hijackers who flew American Airlines 77 into mm. the Pentagon. Yes, it was a plane that hit the Pentagon, not a rocket. So, basically, the Saudis told the CIA, this guy's having a meeting with a bunch of other guys in Kuala Lumpur. You may want to get onto it. So, the CIA did. They actually got photographs of him at this meeting going into and coming out of the meeting. They got photos of him. They identified him. They knew he was an Al-Qaeda operative. Mm. So, gee, he, they, they literally turned around to every friendly intelligence organization that they knew and went, this guy is definitely a terrorist. You should keep him on your watch list. The one group they didn't tell, the State Department in yeah. the United States. Crazy. So he never went on a watch list. So the thing was, they did another thing. When he was in Dubai, they broke into his hotel room and, and turned it. They tossed it, had a look at everything he had. And in it, they found he had a US multiple entry visa. Right. So again, the guy has access to the United States. They yep. know he's a terrorist. And yet they don't tell the one group of people that can do something about it, the State Department. And he would have literally walked up to the border, gotten off the plane and be put straight back on a plane and sent home. 
So they, they didn't do that. And in fact, one of the great things that came out of the 9-11 Commission was when somebody said to the CIA, why didn't you tell them? Well, what, do we have to do everything? Was the reaction. Right. Like, why do we have to tell them what they need to do? It's like, because you you know and they don't. Yeah. So first, they, they didn't tell anyone about Khalid until August in 2001. 19 days before 9-11, he was finally put on the watch list that would have stopped him from coming into the country. Unfortunately, by that time, he was in the country. He'd gotten a California driving license under his own name Mm. and was learning to fly. But funnily enough, didn't want to learn how to land. I mean, like, that has red flags written all over it, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And the thing is, that red flag went up. Yes. And the FBI got the red flag. Now, the problem with the FBI, and this is a really important thing to remember, Mm. the problem with the FBI was the FBI had huge problems as well. Yeah. One of the biggest problems was you have FBI in Washington, the big, you know, the department, DOJ, Department of Justice. So you've got them. Yeah. And then you've got 53 field officers around the country. All of those field officers are autonomous. So one, they look after themselves. They can report back if they need to, but bottom line, you do your own thing. Two, the other thing about the FBI at the time was they were crime-focused. They were about drugs and gangs and organised crime. And in fact, if you were to go into intelligence gathering for either terrorism or counter-espionage, that was actually going to be a roadblock for your career. No one who worked on intelligence ever got into the executive of the FBI. It then sort of – so again, no one had any incentive – to look at this stuff. And finally, they didn't like sharing. The FBI weren't weren't big on sharing. So when somebody suggested maybe we should put together a database where we can put all of this information we have into a big computer and anyone around the country who needs to look at something can look at it, the officers, one officer turned around and said, real men don't type. That was one of the things that was said. Hilarious. But here's the thing I really like. Some people got so cagey with their information, they were storing it in shoeboxes under their desks in their field offices. So again, there's no cooperation going on. So the FBI, when somebody in California turns around and says, uh, hey, there are these guys that are learning to fly and they're not wanting to learn how to land, right? <laughs> Basically, the that's FBI a, that's went, how That's how they would say it, right? Well, actually, probably would <laughs> Dude, there's this guy who's trying to land the plane without learning how to. So essentially what they did, they basically had all this information but didn't tell anyone. Right, so the FBI didn't know that there were these terrorists overseas that were trying to get into the country, and the CIA didn't know that the terrorists were in the country learning to fly planes. Now, surely this has all been sorted out now. Well... The thing is, it should have been sorted out long before it happened. The big problem was America. Mm. The, the American intelligence services are – a great way of looking at it is who was the number one telephone company back in the 90s? Do you remember the, the mobile phone company? Uh, Nokia. Oh, uh, no, Nokia. Motorola. Motorola. Well, Nokia or Motorola? Yeah. Who are the number one phone companies now? Uh, Apple. And? And Google. Or, or Samsung. Or Samsung. Right? So, so you've got your two. You've got your Apple and you've got your, your, your yes. Android. All right. But generally, I think Samsung is probably the, the biggest phone company. The thing is, why did Nokia and Motorola and BlackBerry all stop making, drop off the market? I don't know. Because they weren't because doing computers. They, 
they weren't no, they weren't making the phones that everybody wanted. They couldn't yes. deliver the product. Yeah. That's how business works. If your company isn't delivering the product, your company will fold. Yep. And there was a, a great survey back in the fifties where somebody realized that out of three hundred and eighty five thousand companies that were created in the fifties, hardly any of them are left. Yeah. Because they've either gone broke, they've moved on, they've been sold, or they've been replaced. If you can't satisfy the market, the market will find something else. Government doesn't work like that. Someone did a survey back in the 30s and looked at all the different government departments that existed in the United States and then went back and had a look 50 years later. They're all the same departments. Yeah. So if they aren't doing the job, they don't get replaced. You don't go, gee, this intelligence service isn't working. Let's create a new one to see if they can do a better job. You don't. You try to change that service, but you can't change things like government quickly. They don't like to change. No, they're, like, they're, they are com- the complete antithesis of change, government yeah, right. services. They're, it's called government inertia, right? Yeah. They get caught in this inertia and it's like, this is the way we do it and we're not going to change the f- way we do it or the other great one was like President Clinton, right through the 90s, in every one of his State of the Union mm. speeches, talked about the danger of terrorism. But never, and he could have turned around to the CIA and go, change and change now. This is my edict. I am going to basically, by fiat from the White House, say, you will fix this now. He wouldn't do that because politically it was dangerous. And really, changing the CIA doesn't win votes. Cutting taxes and increasing you know, secure, uh, social welfare, that does. But changing intelligence doesn't. But it's interesting that Clinton used uh, terrorism in a lot of his speeches when there is a lot of people that kind of blame Clinton for September 11th, his foreign policies, um, his shutting down of America. He had a big hand in kind of the reaction of Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. Oh, definitely. No, no one is blameless in this. And in fact, you could trace all of this right back to 1947 yeah. when the CIA was first established because it was actually established in 1946 as the CIJ, the CIG, the Central Intelligence Group, yeah. which was meant to be this overreaching organization that would take intelligence from the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, from the FBI, which from makes the sense. NSA. From like a bit like the Office of National Intelligence in Australia now. Basically a clearinghouse. But one of the guys in the committee establishing it turned around and went, I don't like it. It's not what we're there for. That's not what it's for. Because he was the head of the OSS, the Office of Strategic right. Services, the guys that did all the black ops during World War Two. And he just went, no, 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 no. If we're going to have an intelligence service, it's got to do what the OSS did. So instead of being a clearinghouse for analysis, it became... But basically, a bunch of cowboys going overseas and doing stuff. Yep. And in the like in the seventies, it was regarded as like they their overreach was out of control. Mm. And a lot of people would say that you know a lot the CIA wasn't fit for purpose dealing with te- terrorism. It wasn't fit for purpose dealing with the Cold War. It was all about adventure. It wasn't about intelligence. So that was one of the problems with the CIA. It wouldn't change. So in a post nine eleven world, where yeah. do we sit? We sit with the same, they're very much the same problem. There was something like 280 recommendations that came out of the 9-11 Commission. Out of the 280, I think it's something like 15 or 20 recommendations were actually taken up. That's incredible. Nothing else was. One of the things they wanted to do was the director of Central Intelligence originally was basically meant to overreach, look over all intelligence organisations and run the CIA. What happened was it basically 
the army went nut, the navy went nut, all of the different intelligence services went, no, we're not going to let you do that. We're not going to answer to someone else. We answer to ourselves. And the other thing was if they turned around to the FBI and went, we want you to work on counter-espionage, Secret Service might turn around and go, hang on, we do counter-espionage. We don't want them to do that. We don't want to lose our budget. So it all became about budgets. It all became about turf. And worst of all, Congress didn't support it because Congress had, so many congressmen had their own agendas with intelligence and the military. So the problem we've got is you're dealing with inertia. Yeah, and what's interesting, post 9-11, what we saw is, you know, the kind of a, a no-fly list, like people were all of a sudden not allowed to fly, there was, yeah. um, people were flagged. I, interestingly, I'm actually on a flagged flying list for the United States. So, really? every time I fly in... I have to go into a room Cavity and search. And Come on, admit. no, <laughs> but I have to go into another room and sit with an officer and answer a ton of questions before they let me in. Hang on, you told me about this. Is this because you snuck across the border into yes, Canada? Yes, it's skiing? because it's because I went across the border in Canada to go skiing. But that was before nine eleven. So now I'm on this list. Every time I travel to the US, I yeah. have to go and be interviewed by some pretty scary people. And it's because once you're on these lists, you can't get off these lists. You can't. It's really hard to you get can't. Off, 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 can't. A, off a watch list. And look. The problem was, bottom line with 9-11, was all the answers were there. All the clues were there. The problem was, I mean, the great example is Richard Clark, who's the National Security Advisor to Clinton. In fact, he was the National Security Advisor. He was with Clinton and then stayed through the Bush administration in 2003. This is a quote from him. Somewhere in the CIA, there was information that two known Al-Qaeda terrorists had come to the United States somewhere. In the FBI, there was information that strange things had been going on in flight schools in the US. They had specific information about individual terrorists from which one could have deduced what was about to happen. None of that information got to me or the White House. It is incredible. And the fact that that could happen again, like surely now though – they would be able to spot something like this. But if they're not talking to each other, how how are they able to communicate effectively? There's a really great statistic that I love this, is after the 98 bombings in Africa, mm. the, two years later, so in 2000, the CIA still didn't have anyone that could speak fluent Pashto, mm. which is the, language, the, the common language in Afghanistan. Mm. They know these guys are working in Afghanistan. They can't listen to them because they, they don't even want to speak the language. In fact, everybody that was coming through the CIA, their language skills were all romance languages. So, you know, French, Spanish. Which, which um, no one needs. <laughs> I mean, well, Spanish, yeah, yes. Russian. Spanish, Spanish is one of the like it's it's one of the top languages. But you would think now it's Mandarin, you know. The- well, that was the thing. There was no Asian language. No, it's right. crazy. So- now, I should imagine by now, yes, there would be Chinese languages yeah. being... Though I, I kind of think that you'll find that ultimately there was that problem that they weren't relying on human intelligence. And in terrorism, mm. human intelligence is king. It is. I mean, yeah, we can sit above you either in a, a C-130 gunship or we can sit above you with a satellite or we can throw a drone above you and we can look at what you're doing, but we can't hear what you're saying. Yeah. We don't know what your intent is. We need 
a man in the room. And that's really, really or hard a woman. to do. Or a woman. Or a woman. Or a woman. <laughs> Though when you're dealing with the Taliban, there's not going to be that many women in the room. Um, and if they are, yeah, they're, no, it's true. They're not it's true. It's talk. true. I know. Uh, but. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just a reality. I know, it's true, it's true. I'm joking. It, it, it is effed. But here's the thing that is really important to know as well is back before 9-11, I don't know if it's the same now, but before 9-11, training for counter-espionage and counter-terrorism in the FBI was three days of a 16-week course. And then everything else was on-the-job training. Insane. There was there was no incentive to look at this. Yeah. Despite the fact that they constantly had these things occur that had said we really should address this, they didn't address it. Yeah. So going back to what you were saying before, with um, they didn't have anyone who spoke this African language after the bombings. Uh, Pashto, which is Afghan. Yeah. Oh, Afghani. They had no one yeah, who spoke Afghani. Afghani. So that would have been that's like you know massive problem because they knew that this stuff was brewing. Yeah. And they knew that Osama bin Laden was putting together Al-Qaeda. They knew that. Yep, yep. And threats had been made against the yep. US government, so they knew that mm-hmm. as well. And it's just mind-boggling to me that all these things did not speak to each other. Yeah, it's like, wow, these guys from Afghanistan are really going hard for us. What do we do? Forget it. Don't worry about it. It was, <laughs> it was that attitude that really permeated itself mm. throughout everything. And, you know, the FBI... And the CIA all had the information there. They just didn't act on it. Now, when you look at it, th- th- this is an, an, an interesting thing because I suddenly went while I was. And look, I've deeped, dived very deeply. Because you got nothing else audio, to do. You got nothing the else audio to do. Audio book of the nine eleven commission. <laughs> Did you? Is, you listen to is, the audio book of the nine eleven commission. What is wrong with you? It's fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. <laughs> it's terrifying. The first chapter is a blow-by-blow account right. of how the hijacks would have unfolded, and it is – you just sit there going, oh, my God. Maybe I, need to, people- maybe I need to direct that to the people who don't believe it actually happened. <laughs> oh, look, a lot of the information they got from the flights, you go, how would they know that? Because people were on phones to their family. Yeah, yeah. Put it this way, when – the two twin towers went down. It was like Air America and UA were the two two airlines, mm. right? The whole thing was it was up to the airline to send out the notification, not air control. Right. So it became weird. It, the whole thing is every like I think it was about four or six of the hijackers were stopped at security screening because they set off the metal detector. But the metal detectors at security screening were gauged to pick up anything the size, a piece of metal the size or larger than a twenty-two caliber pistol. Wow. So they were setting stuff off. And then what happens is you go through the first one, it would go off. You'd have to go through a second little, you know, those little doorways. Mm. Had to go through a second one of those. And if you set that off, they'd then wand you. Now, there is actually an account of one guy being wandered and the guy's going, I keep getting a reading. What's there? And he goes, I don't know. You know, I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just gonna, I can't help you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and the guy finally went, look, we've got to get you on the plane. Get on the plane. A couple of them were held off the planes until they could guarantee that their luggage was on the plane as well. Their check-in luggage. It's so that crazy. Was the thing that, ca- that came out of Lockerbie. Now, yeah. the, the panic. Yes, I know. Lockerbie, yeah. Which we are going to talk about because I've read the forensic report. And of course you have. Mind-boggling. Oh, my right? gosh. But Lockerbie, essentially they got the bomb on the plane by yeah. 
putting it in the luggage and then not getting on the plane. Yes, so the plane which makes sense. With their lug- so they held them off the plane and then put them on. Which is now also why <laughs> so many times you're stuck on a plane because luggage has gone on, but the person has not arrived on the plane. Exactly. <laughs> so yep. you have to wait. It's the reason why I wear shoes that are always um, oh my gosh! leather with no metal in them. It's the worst for women with high heels. You just always get pulled up. I just hate walking on lino in my socks in the airport. It feels dirty. I know. It's the worst. I yeah. remember like being stopped and I pretty much had to take everything off and I was running so late to catch a flight and it's like <laughs> nothing was working and they're making me there take everything. you are everything. standing nude at security <laughs> going, look, and then you're look right, I can't show you any, What do you want, my pap smear? Come on, I've got to get on the plane. <laughs> and then you're running to catch a flight and you've literally got no shoes on. I've got my belt in my hand. My bags are open. It's like it's a disaster. And everyone's looking at you as you get on the plane going, you idiot. I know, but at least I didn't bomb anyone. So, you know, there's right, that. That's true. Yeah. So, look, bottom line is, American intelligence is not in the state we'd like to think. Okay, it so is it didn't get it. Movies. Didn't learn anything. Didn't get any better. Great. <laughs> well, I think it did learn something, but the problem is, change moves at a glacial speed. Yeah. In fact, the glaciers on the planet are melting faster than the CIA and the FBI can change. So I guess now what we really need to discuss is how it affected Australian intelligence. But we've kind of run I, out of time. I, really, I would love to talk to you about that, but you know I've got to go and donate blood. Oh, okay. Of course um, you do. You, well, I, I, they love my blood because of all the gene therapy I had when I was working for ASIO and yeah. it gives me super resistance to cancer. Um, no. So, you know what? I, I have a feeling that this story is not over and this episode is just the very beginning of our 9-11 journey. Okay. So, we've, we've got a lot to unpack. How about we do another episode on it? Let's do another one next week. Okay. So, we'll talk about Australian intelligence. What else? We'll talk about the, the people directly involved. We really need to talk about what happened on the day. Okay. All right, and I think that's a really good thing to look at as yeah. well. We've looked at why American intelligence let the ball slip and how it's why it's still letting the ball slip. Let's talk about how these guys organised it. Yeah. And let's talk about how it affected Australia as well. That's a great idea. Yeah, well, I think – and also global intelligence. I think we kind of encapsulate that. Let's have a look at the out, the outcome. The outcome. Okay. Next week. Cool. Cool. 